When you say the words, the greatest, there is one person who immediately comes to mind. Muhammad Ali. <laughs> right? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali grew up as Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. and became the boxing heavyweight champion of the world. In fact, he accomplished that three times. Three times he became the heavyweight champion. Muhammad Ali went on to give himself the nickname, The Greatest. Ali had no shortage of pride. He would say all kinds of things about his abilities. He made himself out to be superhuman. In a way, you could say he was the original Chuck Norris. There's a picture of Muhammad Ali. I have a few quotes that Ali made about himself that are fun. <laughs> he said this, if you ever dream of beating me, you'd better wake up and apologize. <laughs> he said, it's just a job. Grass grows, birds fly, waves pound the sand. I beat people up. <laughs> he said, I'm the greatest. And I said that even before I knew I was. <laughs> Again, there was no shortage of pride with Muhammad Ali. At the end of the day, Muhammad Ali may have been the greatest boxer, but he was just that, a boxer. So I think it still, it leaves the question open. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? Answering the question who is the greatest can be a subjective thing. Put 10 people in a room and you may come away with 10 different answers to the question. But there is an answer that is completely and objectively true and right. It makes no difference whether you agree with it or not. God is the greatest. Amen? God is the greatest. He just is. He just is the greatest. He's the only one who exists without, without any cause or reference point to his existence. And because he's the greatest, and because he has made himself known, it makes the most logical sense for us to calibrate our lives around him, to know him, to love him. And when we do that, we make the most sense of our own lives. It's God who gives us worth, value, and purpose. Why? Because he has value and worth and purpose. And we derive that to ourselves from him. He's the greatest. And when we have our lives calibrated around him, our lives begin to radiate with purpose and meaning. Each and everything we do becomes meaningful and valuable because it's for him the greatest. You might be here tonight and you might be going through a, a wide variety of thoughts and emotions. One of the things that happens every year, we come to the end of the year, and it's honestly, it's a little weird when you get past Christmas a couple days and everybody's starting to talk about the new year and talking about what they're gonna do and there's floods of memories of the past and looking forward to the future and it's just kind of a different time. And so you may be overwhelmed with those thoughts and those feelings. You might be struggling with some areas in your lives. Maybe 
it's an issue of confidence. Maybe you're dealing with a feeling of superiority or inadequacy. You might really just be struggling with something. You can't even put your finger on it. It's in your heart. It's deep down in your heart. I found that these thoughts and feelings arise when they do, that I need to calibrate my life once again around the greatest, the great God of the universe who created the universe and also loves me so very much, and he loves you. And so you need to calibrate your life around him. There was a time in the ministry of Jesus when he was asked a question about the greatest. It was a greatest type question. He was asked by a scribe of the Pharisees, came to him, basically a lawyer, and he was asked a question, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And in our text tonight, in Mark, the question actually reads, which is the first commandment of them all? And that's kind of a way to say, which is the greatest? Which is the first? To, to say which is the first is kind of like, which is the, the first, the chief commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? The greatest is the first in order of importance. And Jesus' answer to the question gives us a couple of the greatest things to, to give our lives to. In a new year or any time we're feeling out of whack, it's a good time to go back to the drawing board of our lives and make sure we've put the first things first, the greatest things at the greatest place. And so we're gonna look at Mark 12 and Jesus' answer to the question, what is the greatest, what is the first commandment? Let's look at it, Mark 12, verse 28, it says this. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Well, one of the things we need to calibrate our lives around when we come to a new year, it's time for a recalibration, we need to calibrate our lives around the greatest that there is, and, and that's the greatest God, the greatest God. In answering the question of the first and greatest commandment, Jesus gives the foundation and greatest reality for human life. If you want to really know what life is about, where it all starts, then, then listen to this. this. He takes them back to the book of Deuteronomy. This is how he answers the question. He takes them straight back to the book of Deuteronomy, to, to Deuteronomy chapter six, to a passage known as the Shema. The Shema. The Shema means here. It means here. It is literally God saying to his people. It's literally God saying to us, listen. Listen to me. Listen to what you're going to hear. Listen and understand what I am telling you. This is the most important truth. It's the greatest truth. What is it? Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I think this is great because he didn't just say the first, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He, he first, he started, he, he, he went to the beginning of it and he said, he went back to the Shema and he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's interesting that even in this declaration, the Shema, the great commandment, the first The primary commandment that the word about God is that he is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the word one here is the word ekad in the Hebrew. And what it means is it's it's a compound unity. There's another Hebrew word for one, yekad, which is an absolute unity. But here you have ekad. Echad, the Lord our God, is one, and it's a compound unity, a compound unity in that sense. And so a great example, none of these examples are perfect because you you try to describe God, right? Try to just, yeah, yeah, you get up here, try to describe God, all right? So, but anyways, here it is. You have an egg, but it's, it's a compound of a shell, of a white, and a yolk, and they all make up the egg, Yet the one egg, the compound unity. You have the, the echad of marriage, right? It's the same word in Genesis chapter 2 when the Lord said, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh, right? Echad, a compound unity. The two shall be one, speaking of marriage. So the Lord is our God. He is a cod, a compound unity. He is the one Lord. Now, there, in the ancient world and in the middle of the declaration of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, and we've discussed this, the, the culture around, there were many gods, right? There were many gods that, that the, the nations of the world were given over to, that they, they ran after, that they worshiped, that they, they built Um, temples and altars and all kinds of things that were many gods. And they came into Canaan, the the Israelites came into Canaan and they saw all the gods of the Canaanites. They had left Egypt and they had seen all the gods of the Egyptians. And just like seeing all those gods, it was the same in the New Testament time. Fast forwarding 1,500 years, you come to the time of Christ, you come to the time of Paul. There were the gods of the nations. You had, at that time, you had spelled out in in the Greek mythologies, right, the, the pantheon of the gods. And so it makes sense uh, why Paul would tell the Thessalonians that you left the worship of these other gods to come to the worship of the one true living God. And that's what it really means. It means to forsake all others and to worship him because he is the God of gods. He's the Lord of hosts, as it says in the Bible. And when we realize that he's the one true and living God, our search is over. Our search is over. Now, now, Bono said it, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? But that's only because he is admitting the, 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 the frailness of the human mind and the frailness of the human will and emotions. 
that, that he, he did believe in, 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 in the, the Lord and, and, and the, the work that Christ did on the cross, but in his own human frailty, he still hasn't found what I'm looking for. But in reality, in reality, if we're being honest with ourselves, we come to the Lord, we realize we found him. He found us, and he's the greatest. And, and, and so we, our search is over in that sense, and we surrender all of our life and turn it over to the Lord. And it's, it's, it's the best thing that we can do. And this is what it means. It's, it's forsaking all others and coming to the Lord. The Lord our God is one. And, and, and when you read the, the Old Testament, spe- specifically the law, this is what it's about. It, it's about coming to the Lord and coming out from the worship of the gods. So what's the proper response to God? What's the proper response? We have the privilege of being in awe of God. Amen? I think a proper response to God, I mean, if you came face to face with God, you say, well, what do you mean a proper response? I'm talking about if you came face to face with Almighty God right now, what would it be? It would be, you, 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 you'd stand in awe or you'd probably fall to your face. You know that, the song, uh, I Can Only Imagine? You know, would I, would I dance or would I fall? You'd probably fall. You'd probably fall over to your feet. Then after he picks you up, then you'd probably dance, amen? But we stand in awe, we'd be amazed at who he is and we need to be amazed. We need to stand in awe of who he is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. We need to be in awe, we need to be in amazement of who God is. Now, about 30 or so years ago, there was a movement in the churches, um, and it, was, it came to be dubbed as the seeker-sensitive movement. And what it was about was a movement that tried to kind of um, make things palatable for people who didn't know the Lord, and so it was basically kind of, um, you know, getting things out of the way that might be like, you know, cringe factors or whatever for people who uh, didn't, uh, didn't serve the Lord, didn't know anything about church, um, would barely go to church. Um, one of the backlashes uh, of, of, the, of what happened with the seeker-sensitive movement is it inevitably turned the focus of the church into being about us and what people want, what people are looking for, what's going to be fulfilling people's needs, and kind of a little bit of away from the focus of, wait a second, this whole thing's about God. This whole thing is about the fact that we serve a God, the God of the universe, the God that spoke the worlds into existence, the God who loves you, the God who was, who, who, who was incarnate, who came as a baby, was born in that cave in Bethlehem and grew up and went to a cross on Calvary and gave his life. Standing in awe of the word, the message, the gospel, the, the, the whole of it. And so in that sense, it became a lot about us what we like, what we want, what we think is going to meet our needs. Now, it's a little bit of a, a backwards mindset, and, and I want to kind of recalibrate that for us tonight. Rather than starting with the premise that the thing is about God, it was reversed, and the thing is that it needs to be about God. Now, I want to give you a crazy example of the reversal that has happened. 
and hopefully it's being reversed. Amen? Hopefully it's being reversed. Now, I'm going to put up, put up a picture of, of one of the wonders of the world, right? Go ahead. Put, put that picture up. Okay. This is the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand. All right. Who needs to take a trip to the, <laughs> to the Grand Canyon? Now, let, now, seriously, who has not been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, yeah. Bucket list. Bucket list right there, okay? All right. When you go to the Grand Canyon... And you stand on the rim. They call it the rim, not the edge, the rim, right? You go to the rim of the canyon, and when you go there, you are not thinking to yourself, I hope this meets my needs. I hope it lives up to my expectations. No, you're not thinking that. When you stand at the rim of the canyon, you stand in awe of it. The first time you walk up to the rim of the canyon, you look and your, your jaw drops to your chest and you say, oh my goodness, this is amazing. What a wondrous sight. It's just amazing. There's another spot that is amazing as well. Niagara Falls. Who has been to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's Niagara Falls. Who has not been to Niagara Falls? Oh, come on. Seriously? All right, we got to get you up to the We got to get you up to the falls. Not right now, because it doesn't look like this right now. It's covered with snow, okay? It's stacked with snow. You don't want to go up there right now. But in July, August, absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous place. A million gallons of water cascading over the falls. You can literally go... They set up these things, it's called the Cave of the Winds, and you can go and you can literally stand directly underneath the falls. And if you're putting your bucket list together tonight, Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, okay? When you go to Niagara Niagara Falls, you stand in awe and amazement of it. You stand there and you are just like, wow, this is incredible. And people go there. And and on the Canadian side, now the Canadians have the better angle to view the falls. When you're on the uh, the American side, you can see it. It's all great. You go over to the Canadian side, it's a perfect view of the falls. So you stand in awe and amazement. And one of the things that I... And I have been, I actually lived in Niagara Falls, so uh, I can talk to you a lot about the falls, amen? And one of the things that I can tell you about Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon, and I'm sure there are other spots that are equally as amazing as these spots, but what I can tell you is when I have been there, it's been a struggle to, like, like to turn around and leave, Right? You're looking at the falls, you're taking it in, all this great stuff, and then you're going, okay, we're leaving now. Right? <laughs> right? And you're saying to yourself, okay, how do you leave? How do I walk away from this? How do I, I don't want to leave. I just want to sit there. Bring me my stuff, right? I just want to sit here. You know, bring me a Starbucks and put it right here and I'll be fine. But you have to walk away. But that's the amazement. That's the amazement that you have at the canyon and at the falls. And we need to have. In our lives, we need to realize that that's the wonder, the amazement, the awe, the reverence that we need to have for the Lord in our lives because he is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's that compound unity. He's the one that has put an end to your search. If you're looking for what's going to fill your life, if you're looking for what's going to complete you, you found it when you found the Lord, or when he found you. And we need to stand in awe and amazement. And this is where it starts. So then Jesus answers the question, what is the first commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Let's look at it. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So we have the greatest God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And this is the greatest commandment. And again, this is right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, when you understand that God is the one Lord, that, you need to, that what you need to do then is you need to love the Lord. When you, when you have come to that place where you can stand in awe and amazement and wonder and reverence of the Lord in your life, when, you, when, you, when, you've, when you've come to that place, then what you need to do is you need to love the Lord. You need to love him with everything that you are. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're having a hard time loving the Lord, then maybe you need to take another look. You need to realize, again, who he is, what he's done, that he's this great God, and on top of that, that he loves you so much. Maybe tonight, if you're having a hard time loving the Lord, maybe you need to hear once again that he loves you, that this great God who is the greatest loves you so much. And maybe you need to have that spoken to you tonight because when you love him and realize that he loves you, your life is going to be fulfilled. Amen? Your life is going to be fulfilled. You need to know how awesome he is in his power, in his might, in his knowledge, in his holiness, in his goodness. And when you do, I think when you come to that, to some of those points, you will love him. You will love him. You will love him more and more. The more I know about God, the more I study God, the more, the more I read about God, the more I read about him in his word, the more I love him. The more I come away, wow, he, he's incredible. He's, he, this, the things he's done, the things he does, the lengths that he went to to demonstrate his love for mankind, the things that he did in, the, in just the incarnation and coming to this earth. Wow, I'm amazed. And when, when you look at all that stuff, I believe that you'll love him. The question is, how do we love him? Well, it's in the commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The list of the things that we're to love the Lord with. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the list? What is this list? It is the list of things that make up who you are. It is the list of things that make up who you are. Your heart and soul, your mind, and your strength. So let's take a look at the list. First, love God with all your heart. 
The word in the Greek is the word cardia, with a K. We spell it with a C in English because you will recognize this is where we get our word, English word cardio, right? Cardiovascular and that type of thing. In the Greek, it's with a K, cardia. Love the Lord with all your heart. The cardia means this. It's the heart. It's the organ in the animal body, which is the center of circulation of the blood, and hence was regarded as the seat of physical life. It denotes the center of physical and spiritual life. In the Bible, when you said heart, you were speaking of just literally the center of somebody, deep down who they were. So for the commandment to be, love the Lord your God with all your cardia, with all your heart, was literally to, to love him from way down deep into the essence of who you are. And that's how we're to love him. The center part of you, the essence of you, is your heart. Love the Lord with all of it. Not a part of it, not half of it, not three quarters, seven eighths, nine tenths, all. Love the Lord with all of who you are, every essence of who you are. Let him take over you. Let when he takes over you, he's the Lord of your life. And when he's the Lord of your life, you'll love him and he'll reign in your life and he will lead you into all good things and he will guide you in your life. Just love him with everything that you are. Second, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your soul. The word soul here in the Greek is the Greek word psyche. It means... Soul, it's where we get our word psyche and all the words that have this at the beginning of it. It means this. It means the soul, the seed of feelings, desires, affections. The human soul, insofar as it is constituted that by the right use of aids offered it by God, it can attain its highest end and secure eternal blessedness. The soul regarded as a moral being designed for everlasting life. The soul as an essence which differs from the body and is not dissolved by death. The soul. That is the part of you that feels, that desires. The part of you that contains your emotions. When you love someone, there is a feeling. There is an emotion. And for probably as far back as human history goes, it's been confused as to what is love. Is love love and the feeling something else, or is the feeling love? And what, ha what has happened is, and where the clarification needs to be understood is that love is really a decision. Love is something that you decide to do. The feeling is what comes from loving. The emotion is what comes from loving. And so when you love the Lord, you're going to love the Lord with your soul. You're going to love him with your affections, with your desires, with your feelings, with the seat of your emotions. People will say in their marriage that they don't love this person anymore because they don't feel it anymore. 
In, in, in some ways, they'll say, you know, I don't feel that I love him. I don't, I don't feel it. There's, there's, there's no feelings anymore. May I suggest that the feelings of love have left because the decision to love has left. When we love, the feelings come back. That's what happened. When you first had a desire to meet someone, to, to go out with them, to, to, to love them, there, you associated those feelings, the emotions of it, with that decision to be with them, that decision to love them. And so it's, it's, it's gotten all confused in our society. So we need to not carry this over into our relationship with the Lord. Amen? And Christians have. And so they'll say, well, I'm in a dry spot <laughs> with the Lord. You know, how's your relationship with the Lord, right? You got a, you got a accountability partner, right? How's it going with you and Jesus? Well, it's a dry time. It's, a, it's not going so great. Well, why? You know, Jesus told the, the, uh, the church at Ephesus, in Revelation chapter 2, he, and, and, and Ephesus was a church that the, the name of the, the church means beloved, right? And what was his charge against the church? He said, hey, you got some good things going here, Ephesus, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. And what did he tell them? What was the, re what was the remedy to them having left their first love? He says, go back and do the things that you did. Remember from when you have fallen and go back and do the things that you did at the first. And one of the things that counselors will tell a couple that really try to want to make it work, they'll, they will tell them, look, you want to make this work? Go back. Remember from where you have fallen from. Go back and do the things that you did at the beginning. Somewhere along the line, you stop doing those things. And, you, and the feelings left, and so then you equated that with somehow having lost the love for this person. And so Jesus would say the same to us. You've left your first love. Go back and do the things. Remember what it felt like when you first knew that Jesus loved you and that he died on the cross for your sins, and you were amazed at that, and you said, I want to give God my life. I want to turn my life over to God. I want to be saved. Remember that? Go back to that, Christian, and, 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 and feel once again the feelings, the emotions of your love for God. You say, are you, are you sure? I mean, are, 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 should, we, should we be focused? You know, should we have emotions? Should it be emotional? Yeah. It should be emotional. <laughs> A relationship is, a, is an emotional thing, and God made us with emotions, and he wants to love, he wants us to love him with our soul, and so that's going to touch down to the, that part of us that's emotional. It's going to touch down to that. When people say, well, you know, I don't like, I don't cry, right? You talk to these tough guys and stuff, I don't cry. Why? Why don't, why don't you cry? You need to cry. Crying is a, is a powerful thing. Crying is something when, 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 when you have cried 
about something. There is something that is so heartfelt that is happening in your life. And people have just allowed their emotions to become so seared that they've lost the feeling. And we should have a relationship with the Lord. The Lord cried. Jesus, in John chapter 11, he went to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. Jesus had the disciples, but he also had some very dear friends in Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They lived about two miles outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. And he stayed there a lot with them. And when he got there on this particular occasion, Lazarus was dead and he had been dead for four days and he came up to the tomb in Bethany. And the shortest verse of scripture in all the Bible is what? Jesus wept. Right? People who don't know their Bibles think that, that, that Jesus wept on the cross, right? And perhaps he did. But that passage is about him weeping over his friend who was passed away, who had passed away. Of course, he called him out of the grave, and you know it was a great, great day for, for, for everybody there. But you know what that tells me is that, you know, that emotions are a part of us, our feelings, and we need to, we need to do, we need to realize that. Now, there are those that get to the point where they're past feeling. They've been hurt so much that they get past feeling, and they try to make themselves feel emotions, and that's where you have these epidemics of of people cutting themselves, and why? Because they're trying to feel something. They're trying to feel pain. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with that part of you that is that feeling part, that emotional part, that part that has desire. So, is it, is it okay to love God in an emotional way. Yeah. He wants you to love him with your emotions. Not out of control. Not emotions out of control. Under control. Amen? Under the control of the spirit. Let's move on and finish this up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, And mind. The word there in the Greek is is um, dianoia. It's the mind is a faculty of understanding, desiring understanding. Dianoia is a term used by Plato for a type of thinking, specifically about mathematical and technical subjects. It's the ca- it's the capacity for process of or the result of discursive thinking. You say, what? It's using your noggin. It's your mind. It's thinking about things. It's, it's, it's learning things. It's, it's looking at how it works. It's looking at all that. And so if we're going to love the Lord with our mind, with our dianoia, we're going we're gonna to love the Lord with our mind 
would include loving him with a rational understanding of who he is and continuing to know him and continuing to learn of him. Continue to know him more, continuing to to learn of him more. And that involves having a, a relationship with him where we're in dialogue with him, we're in prayer, we're in his word, learning of him. Where, where are you going to learn more about God? Amen? Through his word. You're going to learn more about him through his word. Look at how he deals with situations. Look at what he does. Look at the type of God he is. Look at the, the love that he has, the grace that he has. All these things. There is nothing greater that a person can give his life to than the study of God. In that sense, we should all be theologians. Amen? In, a, in order to love God with all your mind, you need, to be, you need to study God. Theology is the study of God. People go, oh, well, I, I don't, I'm not into church, and I'm not, I, I don't do theology and stuff like that. What? <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your mind. Take a look at some theology. Take a look at it. Look at, what, look at who God is. And pe- you know, people maybe wouldn't be so bored with God if they'd actually pick up some things and begin to, to dive in and say, look, I, I want to understand the, the, the nature of Christ. What, what is it that he really did when he came and he took on flesh? What kind of thing happened there? What does it mean? Let's talk about the holiness of God. Let's talk about the righteousness of God. Let's talk about the, 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 the person of the Trinity, the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about how the person of, the, of, of Jesus is, 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 is laid out for us so perfectly throughout all of Scripture to where Jesus could later say, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that testify of me. What? What did Jesus say? That the whole Bible testifies of who he is. We want to know God. We want to learn of him more. And and that means we need to dive in and and not be afraid of it. Maybe people, people, uh, you know, I don't know. People get bored. I just, I read all these articles, you know, that come across my thing, you know, what to do with a millennial worker who's bored at work and stuff like this, you know? Maybe there's an article we need to, what to do with a bored Christian, you know? Give them a systematic theology, <laughs> right? Get in there and begin to learn about who God is. I mean, there's, there's, there's such, a, we started the Genesis series. If you'll remember, anybody who was here tonight was here on the very first one. I talked about that, that, that there's a crisper story than the story that you grew up with, the Sunday school version of the, of the Bible that you grew up with and, and all the stories, and that was all great. But going through the scriptures and learning of what it says, that there's a crisper story. There's more in there. There's more detail. There's more about who he is and what he's done. And we, we got to love the Lord with that and dive in. So I want to encourage you this year, Christian. Can I do that tonight? Love the Lord with all your mind, with all your mind this year in 2018. And one last one, love the Lord with all your strength. The word is iskis, iskis in the Greek. It means ability, force, strength, might. 
your ability, your force, your strength and might would include your body, but not, would not be limited to your body. But, but basically, when people think of their strength, it would be that force, that might, the physical uh, thing in, in terms of loving the Lord with your strength. Or the, the mind to desire to do something with the strength. Because to, to even think about it, you could have some overlap with, with the strength and the mind. Because there's an amount of strength that is needed to actually focus on the things of the mind, right? Whenever you, you, you sat down and studied in a library somewhere and, you know, for two, three hours and you come home and you're like, I'm tired. Well, why are you tired? You sat there for th- two, three hours. Well, you worked your brain, right? You worked your mind. And so there's, there's strength involved with that. Um, now, people, when you say, love the Lord with all your strength, your ability... People might say, well, I don't have, I don't have many abilities. <laughs> I wish I had some more abilities. You know what the, the main ability that the Lord is looking for? Availability. Amen? Availability. Get, get some of that. Open up the schedule a little bit. Fit God in there. Put God in the, in the you know. When, when, you, when you got your whole Netflix schedule and your whole DVR schedule, where's, where's God? Well, I don't want to study that. Come on now, Christian. Love the Lord with your, with your strength. I want to encourage you. There's a young man who uh, was born without any arms and any legs. And uh, when he was born... I'm sure most people would look and say, well, you know, not much, not much to work with here. We, we, we don't know how this is going to go, the doctor may have said. Well, that guy with no arms and no legs grew up to be a man named Nick Vajavik and has become a preacher of the gospel and has preached the gospel in front of of thousands of people, he's actually done more stuff than I've done. The guy has surfed. There's a, you look it up right now. There's a picture of him surfing with Bethany Hamilton, right? I'd like to do that, right? And people come up with all kinds of reasons, come up with all kinds of excuses. I look at Johnny Erickson. You know, if you know the story of Johnny Erickson, she was the young girl who took a dive into the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland and broke her neck. And she's, for the greater part of her entire life, has been a quadriplegic from the neck down. But that didn't stop Johnny Erickson from serving the Lord with all of her strength. She has written books, she has done paintings. She leads a ministry right now that reaches out to churches across the country and helping them to learn how to better serve the disabled community within their church and within their own community. And so what is the excuse that we have for not that we can't love the Lord with all of our strength? Now, let me tie this up tonight and put a nice bow on it for 2018 
so that we can move forward with this. Because this is such a foundational package here. This commandment is it. The second one Jesus gets to, love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't the message tonight. That's a great message. Tonight was about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, how do you do that? You determine to do it. You say, I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to live for the greatest because he's the greatest thing that there is. He's our God. And I'm going to live for him. And everything I'm going to do, I'm going to do for him. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians. He says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. He actually brought it down. He says, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Do it for him so that when you begin to see, Christian, that as you have surrendered your life to him and realized and stand in all of who he is and realize that he's the greatest in the world, in the universe, he stands outside the universe, you've given your life to him. You're complete in him. And you worship him, you do everything for him. So when you wake up in the morning, you're eating breakfast, it's for the glory of God. You can eat for the glory of God? Yeah, just not too much, not too much. <laughs> Maybe some of you are not going to eat in 2018 for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. You will not be disappointed.